Indeed, friends, remain standing out of love and affect our, our respect for God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Uh, turn with me to Jonah, please. You'll find the number, page numbers printed inside your bulletin there, depending upon which Bible you grab under the seat in front of you. We continue our study now in Jonah, looking at the entire chapter, chapter 2, having started with chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. We left Jonah in the, bay, uh, the, the belly of the fish, in the belly of the big fish that God had provided in addition to the storm that God had provided. I wonder if you're here today and you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord. When you think about that, when you think about God's discipline on you as an individual, a child of the king, usually I'm guessing that you don't find that to be very fancy and, and helpful and loving and, and fun, right? We typically think of the discipline of the Lord to be something that we do not want to experience. But what we find here in this particular chapter is Jonah is disciplined and it is a loving, compassionate, and long-suffering discipline that results in something very, very great. So think of us then, all of us that are gathered here today, the discipline that you might be facing individually, but don't forget the focus of the book, the theme of the book, was the word of the Lord came to Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah did not. He abandoned God's word and he abandoned God's presence. He ran as far and as fast as he could go. And God sent discipline, but that discipline was loving. How do we know it was loving? How can we experience discipline by God and call that loving as well? Well, let's find out from this portion of his holy word. Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and said, in my distress I called to you, Lord, and you answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But, but you brought me up, brought my life up out of the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. When I have vowed, what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, we desire now to give our full attention to your word, to put ourselves under the preaching of it, because we are often disciplined by you, but that discipline is with great affection and great love to do great things. And yet we look upon those things as something quite different. We don't look at your discipline as something that's loving and kind and for our good. So open our eyes then to behold that promise that you gave to Jonah and that promise that you give to us to lift us up out of the pit 
and restore us to places of righteousness that you give us in Christ. Do that, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Some of you, uh, no doubt, have not met my two daughters because they, we're empty nesters. They're out of the house now. Uh, Melissa, my oldest daughter, lives in Chicago, and Allison, my youngest daughter, lives in Los Angeles. Melissa, my firstborn, was our strong-willed child. You probably know nothing about that if you're a parent here today, but Melissa was my strong-willed child. Jennifer and I used to cling to the various proverbs you, uh, you spare the rod and you spoil the child. We were parents that spanked because we cling, we would cling to that particular proverb. My, my most favorite one was this, you shall beat them with a rod and spare their soul from hell. <laughs> so I, I oftentimes then would uh, look at my daughter, my strong-willed daughter, when she would be doing something that I would have to correct her and I would be faced with this this digging in and her way was what she wanted, her will was what she wanted. One particular day, I don't even remember what it was that she did, but she did it and then she did it again and then she did it again after I told her to stop doing it and so I said, all right, Melissa, let's go and I grabbed her up by her arm, took her into her room, sat her down on her bed and I told her why it was that I was going to spank her and then I, I walloped that little thing and I set her straight and she turned around in her strong will and looked right in my eyes and said, that didn't hurt. And I thought to myself, well, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you should not have said that. And, uh, well, I've well stopped there. Let me just simply say this. You are all strong-willed children that have grown up to be strong-willed adults because I am a strong-willed child that has grown up to be a strong-willed adult as well. Jonah was a strong-willed prophet of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and Jonah said, I don't want what you want, Lord. I want what I want, and what I want is not what you want, and so I am not going to do what you want, but I'm going to do what I want. Jonah ran from the word of the Lord, and Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa, he got on a boat, and he tried to make his way all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish, which would have been the furthest point that he could get by boat away from Nineveh. He was a strong-willed prophet who did not want God's will. Then what about us? We are strong-willed children that have grown up to be strong-willed adults. We want our way, don't we? I want my way over any other way. I want what I want. I want the timing when I want it. I want to get it when I want to get it. We oftentimes do the same thing, running from the, the Word of God and running from the presence of God. We are no different from Jonah, stuck in our strong will saying, no, I'm not going to do that. That didn't hurt. You can try it again, but that didn't hurt. I'm going to do it my way. That type of rebellion for the prophet was actually his spiritual decline. In chapter 1, we see a spiritual decline in the prophet Jonah. He abandoned God's word. He tried to run away from God's presence. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, sent a storm 
and sent a fish, you will remember from a couple of weeks ago, to capture this rebellious, stubborn prophet to get him to do what God had commanded him to do. And we see this spiritual decline. He's running from God's word. He's running from God himself. And God in his favor extends grace and mercy and long-suffering to him to call him back. And then we get to chapter 2, our text today, and we find spiritual renewal. God, in his love and affection for his prophet, disciplines him, disciplines Jonah, but it is for his good. It is a loving, compassionate, grace-filled discipline that brings the prophet back to what we will see next week, chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and he got a mulligan. He got a do-over, and he, can't, he went back and did what God had commanded him to do. He went to Nineveh. So what we find here in the middle is this spiritual renewal because of the discipline of God. Calvin said of the fish that it was a hospital to restore, to restore Jonah back to his spiritual heights, his spiritual renewal. God in his love and affection had sent this fish to swallow Jonah to bring him back to a place of spiritual renewal. He had been disciplined. He had declined all the way down to the very center of the fish. But the Lord provided a fish and now verse 1 from inside the fish, Jonah begins to pray. Look what it says. Three days and three nights is how chapter 1 ended. Let me just uh, make some clarification comments for you there because that one brings us pause, causes us to scratch our head. Uh, we read about the same thing with Jesus in connection with Jesus. Jonah is only mentioned in, in this book in the Old Testament and in 2 Kings 14. We don't read him anywhere else in the Old Testament. We do read about him in the New Testament and that is in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke and it's by Jesus himself. Jonah is the only prophet that Jesus compares himself to. And jo Jesus compares himself to quoting this verse, just like Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be buried for three days and three nights and he will rise again. And some have, well, that means that Jesus then had to be buried on Thursday. It couldn't have been Good Friday because to have three days and three nights, it had to be Thursday to Sunday and so forth. It causes us pause. So let me just simply say this. If you look at the book of Esther, at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, when Esther and Mordecai were calling on the Jews to fast, at the end of 4 it says, fast, let nothing... For, for you or for your animals, let nothing touch your lips, nothing, no water, no food, for three days and for three nights. And then in chapter 5, the very next chapter, it opens up by saying, and on the third day, then Esther appeared before the king and so forth. It doesn't say after the third day, but it says on the third day. So a part of the third day made it the entirety of the day in that particular culture. Three days and three nights didn't necessarily mean a literal three days and three nights, but the third day could have been part of the third day, and on that day, then whatever it was took place. So we can take the same thing here. We don't have to, we don't have to fret over a literal three days and three nights. Nonetheless, Jonah is in the belly of the whale, and it's three days, three nights, however long that is, it doesn't take him long to realize the discipline of the Lord, does it? It doesn't take him long at all. 
he, he comes to that conclusion. Inside the fish, he begins to pray because he realizes the danger that he is in. Now, friends, listen very carefully. I Googled it this week just because I remember my Sunday school days. Do you remember all the pictures that you used to see about Jonah inside the whale? Just go home today. Here's your homework. Google Jonah in the belly of the fish and then click on images and look at all of these funny little pictures. You're going to see the very first one is the one I saw in my Sunday school curriculum book when I was a kid. And it's this massive chasm of space and you see all these ribs on both sides like that. Jonah's got a little piece of seaweed on the top of his bald head and he's sitting on a three-legged stool and where that came from we have no idea. <laughs> and he's built a campfire inside the belly of the fish. No joke. And the smoke is rising up and going out the blowhole of a, of a big whale because it's pictured as a whale. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't do that, all right? Don't get that vision. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. He is, he is in danger, friends. He's not sitting there warming himself by the campfire inside this large space. I, I kind of think it would almost be likened to being buried alive. You have enough room to move around a little bit, but it's utter darkness and in addition to darkness, it stinks to high heaven. And every time this fish opens its mouth to take on more food, you're flooded with waters that seek to cause you to drown. You're gasping for breath. Three days and three nights. That's the picture we ought to get in our minds. And that's the words that Jonah uses. Look at verse 5. His danger. I was... The engulfing waters, the waters engulfed me and they threatened me to take me deeper and deeper. The roots of the mountains, I sank down, I was barred in. You read that language? This is danger, my friends. But we don't read verses 5 and 6 unless we have already passed through 3 and 4. Look at verse 3. The danger is not the situation that he is in but the reality that it is God who put him there. You, oh God, you, Yahweh, hurled me into the deep. You hurled me into the heart of the sea. And he comes to the conclusion in verse 4, he now completely understands, I got what I wanted. I have been banished from your sight. Could you imagine a greater danger, friends, than to know that you have been banished from the sight of Yahweh himself? His danger is not that he's inside a fish. His danger is that he realizes now from inside the fish that he has been banished from Yahweh. He's come to that knowledge, the knowledge that this danger is a greater danger than he could ever imagine. But that danger becomes a delight. It's love. It's grace in God's discipline. His danger becomes a delight because look at verse 1. He prays to the Lord his God. In his distress, he called out, he cried out to the Lord his God. The middle of verse 6, I have this certainty, Jonah is saying, you will, but, that fancy word, that three-letter conjunction, you will bring me up out of the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7, my life was ebbing away, but you remembered me, O Lord. You haven't forgotten me. You haven't forsaken me. Even in your discipline, you have never forsaken me or abandoned me. 
Do you see his delight? His delight is now he knows in humility he is... He is in the, way, in, the, in the belly of this fish and now being humbled by, by spiritual renewal. In his spiritual decline by his own choices to run from God's word and to run from God himself, he's now in humility crying out to the one who has never abandoned him or left him. Incidentally, this is why in verse 4 and verse 7 we read about this connection to the temple. End of verse 4. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And then in verse 7, my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Think about the context of redemptive history. This is an Old Testament prophet who would have known what happens in Jerusalem in the temple. God is there. He sits on the holy of holies in the holy place and he would have known the presence of Yahweh, the Shekinah glory would have been seen inside that temple. And not only there, but the priest would have scattered blood on the altar, on the ark, on the people, on the temple because of the forgiveness of sin. He would have experienced the presence of God and the forgiveness of sin. And so he cries out about this temple saying, I, I am back there, you're not going to leave me here. This is for my delight. I'm in, the, I'm in the belly of this fish where it's dark and dank and stinky and all of this thing, all of these things. Yet I know you're not going to leave me in this place. Now friends, listen. By way of application, the context, the focus of this particular book is Jonah's command, call from God to go to Nineveh to preach the good news. It is evangelism and discipleship. So let's think about ourselves here. He has found himself in this spiritual decline because he is running away from his duty to go to his Nineveh and give them the good news of the gospel. But God in his love and affection for the prophet would not allow him to stay there. He would pour out affection on him and remind him that he had not abandoned him and he would be, it would be for his spiritual renewal as he came to an understanding that he was once separated from God. He was once banished from his sight, but now he would be back into the presence of God himself. After chapter one, a couple of weeks ago, I got a couple of comments from, from individuals. I got a comment of conviction that we, that we as a church have done nothing for our, or little to nothing for our, our Nineveh right here outside of Redeemer Day School. Conviction from a couple of individuals that we needed to be more actively involved in our community. I got wonderful comment from another individual of praying for people moving in, our, our people moving into Craig Ranch to develop these relationships. My point is this. These are good places to be. We have been negligent in reaching our Nineveh. And now coming to this understanding as we're studying this book and throughout this year concentrating on outreach and evangelism, this is God's good discipline for us to bring us to the place of saying, you know what, I, I have not been abandoned by my God. He will indeed bring me up out of the pit and all of these things that are engulfing me will be ebbed away. They'll be gone because of his great affection for us. He will do that for us, his people. This discipline of confronting our sin, confronting our neglect of the people around us, we have got to answer it. Beloved, we've got to answer it. It is the kind discipline 
of God where we can say, in humility, O Lord my God, I understand. You called and we are now going to go. Isn't that what we find with Jonah? Look at him. Grace brings him to the place of humility, great danger that brings him to great delight with a new understanding. But as a result of that, now he has a great hunger, a great hunger for God's will to be done and a great hunger for God's word to be proclaimed. If your Bible is like my Bible, you have cross-references either in the center margin or across the bottom. The entirety, friends, listen, the entirety of Jonah chapter 2 is nothing but, if you look at your, your uh, textual references, is nothing but a quoting of the Psalms, actually 15 Psalms to be exact. Jonah is quoting Psalm 18, Psalm 120, Psalm 86, Psalm 31, Psalm 69, Psalm 33, Psalm 30, and so on and so on. Look at, the, look at the references. What is he doing? He is just giving God's word back to God himself. In, fifth, or in uh, 10 verses, he quotes 15 songs. In 10 verses, he quotes 15 psalms. Don't you think he's now hungering for God's word? The very thing that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, ah, ah, ah. Now what is he doing? He's just spitting it back out. He's spitting it back out in prayer to Yahweh. He's praying the psalms back to Yahweh because he's returning. He's going from spiritual decline because of the discipline of God to spiritual renewal. He's being renewed and he has a hunger for God's word and he's simply quoting it back to God himself. And then in addition to that, he's got a hunger for the will of God to be done. A hunger for the will of God to be done. It's implied, look at verse 8. We have this implication uh, for Jonah that he wants God's will to be done because he no longer wants to cling to worthless idols, but he wants to cling to the grace that God gives and that grace that's his, verse 9 at the end, the salvation that comes from the Lord. He now understands that and so he can say in the middle of verse 9, what I have vowed, I now will make good. I want what you want. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. And so I will vow that I no longer am going to cling to worthless idols. I'm no longer going to cling to that stuff, but I'm going to cling to the grace that you've given me in my salvation. You have saved me, and because you have saved me, you love me too much to let me stay, either on a ship that's in a storm or in a belly of the whale. You're going to bring me to the place where you have ordained that I would be. And I'm going to hunger for that. I want to do, I want to make a vow to do what you want me to do. Now I say implied by Jonah in verse 8, because if you look at verse 8, he's really not talking about himself, is he? For the first time, friends, for the first time now in this short book, Jonah has now turned his eyes off of himself and turned his eyes on the, the residents of Nineveh. And he has said, there are people there. Those, not me, but those who cling to worthless idols are sacrificing the very grace that you promised to give. You have promised to give them salvation. And you've promised to use me preaching that salvation to bring them to yourself. For the first time, Jonah now has eyes to see 
outside himself. He sees Nineveh. He's inside the fish still, and yet the Lord has given him the ability to see the people that he has been called to reach. Is that said of us? Would that be said of Redeemer Presbyterian Church? That we now have eyes that we see. Do you weep, friends? Do you weep for the souls that are out here, that are right around us and all over McKinney and all over the world for that matter, but right here beginning in our Nineveh, do you weep that they are forfeiting the grace that God would extend to them if we would be faithful in just simply preaching the gospel? Are we going to actually do what he commands us to do? Are we going to take this word because we've come to this understanding in great humility that we hunger to see those around us come to saving faith and prove themselves to be the elect that God has called from the foundation of the world. Allie is my youngest child. She's not my strong-willed child. She's my tender-hearted child. And growing up, you could just threaten Allie with the switch and she would burst into tears. You didn't even have to actually spank her. You could just say, Allison Riley, and you, you got to put the middle name in there, you know, because that gives you the, Allison Riley, and she went, you know, she just wouldn't melt. We were in seminary now, in seminary where, you know, everybody has everything perfectly in order because we're in seminary. And this little rebellious little girl decided she's going to do something that mom said, no, 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 and Allie did it again. No, 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 Allie did it a third time. All right, let's go. Woo, no, no. Drag her in and down the hall, plop her on the bed, giving her the explanation. Allison, I'm going to spank you because spank you because of this and this and this and this. Now, Allison, I don't want to spank you. And she goes, reaches up, puts her hands on Jen's face and says, then don't. <laughs> None of us want to be disciplined. But a whole lot of us need to be disciplined. Yeah. None of us want to be spanked. But sometimes, my friends, we need to be spanked. The focus of the book of Jonah is the salvation of the Ninevites, the proclamation of the word by the prophet, the word of God to the Ninevites for their salvation. So as we study this book, friends, I simply want to leave you with this. Have we already learned our lesson in the discipline? Have we understood that the waters have engulfed and we have been down further and further, but God in his great love and affection has showed us that even now through this particular sermon that we are going to be about our Father's business and his will? Or... Is there a greater hurling coming? Is there a greater banishing that's coming? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this sweet gospel. And thank you that even when we run from it, even those of us that have, uh, have been given the gift of it, even when we run from this gospel... You have a great affection for us. You have given us the command to go into our Nineveh with the good news of the gospel. So, Father, please, 
in your love and affection, in your kind discipline of us. May we see that here and now today and in humility find delight in the fact that we hunger for your word and not only hunger for your word, but we hunger for your will to be done for the lost to be saved. So please, Father, spare us from more discipline. Allow us to see this as gentle discipline and allow us with great conviction now in humility to hunger for what you love and to hate what you hate. Please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond, friends. If you're seated on the inside row, would you grab that black pad under the seat in front of you? I'm going to ask you to print all of the information that's requested there and then pass that pad down to everyone seated on your row. So